everybody. My name is Mike Dice. We're back with another episode of the Extra Rounds podcast, just one week after UFC Halifax. Uh, as always, I'm Mike Dice, Elias Sabella. Uh, first of all, joining the show later today, we have Dustin Poyer, uh, who fought at UFC 208. For those of you who watch the show every week, we tried to have him on last week, but we had some technical difficulties getting connected. So we're going to try again this week. Um, he should be calling in in about 20 minutes. Um, and then we'll talk you know, about his big win at UFC 208 over Jim Miller. And also to end the show, we will have Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who's been on the show before, yep. talking about his fight with Tyron Woodley at UFC 209 for the welterweight title of the world. Uh, and full disclosure, that interview was pre-recorded, so we're going to try and play it through here. Um, if it doesn't work out, we'll find a way to add it on to the audio upload at the end. But uh, we will have that audio um, for you today. So look forward to that. Um, first of all, let's talk about UFC Halifax. There's a couple big takeaways. It was an event that wasn't really um, kind of flew under the radar. I feel like mm. it's been um, February's been a weird month as far yeah. as like the UFC goes, and weird for MMA in general. Um, but notably, Derek Lewis in the main event knocked out Travis Brown in the second round. Uh, the big talking point of that was a late stoppage, which is a theme that kind of carries over from UFC 208 with the after the round punches. Um, Durandamy um, landed on. Uh, Holly Holm. Yeah. So this was a late stoppage. It wasn't necessarily after the bell, but it was a late stoppage. Did you think it was a late stoppage? Uh, yeah. I mean, it should have been stopped earlier. I saw the Mario Yamasaki, the referee, has since come out and said, yeah, he tried to get in there sooner. He made a mistake. He, he couldn't get in there sooner. Um, and it should have been stopped a couple blo- um, blows sooner. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, you know, I don't think it was a late stoppage. Like Mario didn't realize what was going on. I just, it, sadly, it happens sometimes. You can't get there in time, or you make uh, you jump in there a little too late. But yeah, no, I mean he was out before that. Yeah, there was a uh, this scary scene of him clearly being out and limp, and Lewis landing another couple punches, which um, looks looks really scary having never yeah. been in that position. But you know, the timing of trying to get in there, you you're trying, you know, fighters are circling and moving, mm-hmm. and you're trying to stay out of their path. And then trying to adjust to get in there to disrupt something can be um, a bit, I bet. you know, challenging, I imagine, having never done it. But Derek Lewis also felt like he had something to um, prove. Oh, yeah. They're going to keep a smart fighter is going to keep keep punching until uh, or keep choking, keep doing whatever. They're going to keep fighting until until the ref jumps in there. <laughs> and, and it's not like Lewis was definitely extra motivated. Well, not. Yeah. Not, um, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, there was some. Um, bad blood uh, for those of you who don't know the story Derek Lewis has domestic violence in his history with his mother being a victim and um the the reports about Travis Brown whether they're I don't think there were anything's ever come about it other than those social media posts um yeah I don't think any charges were ever pressed so you know that's still an unresolved issue you know whether that happened or didn't happen right um but he you know obviously knows about that and felt compelled to to do something about right. it and uh, that played a part in his desire to land those extra shots. Um, it's interesting which, he didn't talk about it before the fight, did he? Uh, there was some um, interviews that oh, I read where he mentioned that th- that that was a point um, uh, for him, and that was part that. of kind of why he, you know, he. It, for those of you who watched his fight in December, you know, it was a disappointing dis- uh, event or fight for him, and you know, he kind of depressingly called out two fighters he was like i was gonna call out these guys but i don't really feel like i did well enough to um you know call them out but subsequently in interviews he said like one of the reasons travis brown was on the list was because uh, Mm. of that issue and he has a point to prove but then 
now I stopped watching um, at some point uh, because I was in I was in Dallas. Yeah. But he supposedly made a comment about Ronda Rousey, which seems to contradict his point that he was trying to um, deliver the message or whatever is motivating him. It just seems like yeah, he <laughs> yeah, it's not noble. It doesn't go along with the noble, uh, like him saying he wants Ron. He's asking where Ronda's fine ass is. Is not a, in along along the lines of the noble anti uh, domestic abuse um, message. So yeah, he distracted it a bit because I think what most people are going to hear and what most people have written about, as far as I can see, is that part. Oh, Derek Lewis called out. Ron, he wants to hook up with Ronda Rousey. Derek, he's doing it again. That, and you're, so yeah, you're really he, the champion for women's rights there. You yeah, know, I mean. Right? You know, it's not. It's 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 definitely distracting at the best. Yeah. So that was that was silly. I have no doubt that he feels what he f- says he feels. But yeah. Oh, you know, absolutely. And you know, you can't blame him for feeling that way. But I still think it's worth noting that it's like un um, unsubstantiated. Right. Yeah. So, you know, as far as I know, I've never seen any char- like some people have been convicted of domestic violence in the UFC, like Anthony Rumble Johnson. I don't know that to be the case for Travis Brown. Social media posts, or no any, charges. Any or, charges whatsoever. Yeah, um, uh, ever. Any charges at all. So, yeah. So, the other big thing was um, Johnny Hendricks' debut at middleweight. Yeah. Which went well. So, what were your initial read of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think if he's – that's the type of matchup that he needs to have at middleweight because Hector Lombard is also a welterweight um, who's fought to, fought to middleweight, went down to welterweight, now went back up to middleweight. Um, he's not that tall. Like that's 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 good. Johnny Hendricks at five nine fighting Luke Rockhold or Chris Weidman is it's a very bad idea. He's a much smaller human being than them. That for some reason just stays very very heavy. So <laughs> I thought it was a good fight. I don't think it's indicative. Everything's you know matchups is are really everything, Mike. So I don't know if it's indicative of even though Lombard is a great fighter. I don't think it's indicative of what Johnny can or will do at middleweight. I I just wish. I wish to God a great fighter like Johnny Hendricks could have decided to just walk around a lot lighter. He's not. He's not. You know. He, he's he's in shape and stuff now. It's just he's. I guess he's just walking around too too heavy. Because if you're five nine, you should be able to. You should you should be able to. I mean, that's kind of McGregor height. Yeah, exactly. You, you, there's not. That's that's featherweights. That's like. I mean, you should be able to do it. You should be able to do it. He's um, so much. You know he's that height, but he's he's thicker than Connor. So like I don't know that he could make yeah. featherweight or welterweight, but or lightweight. Yeah. But um, you know what's the issue? Maybe his body's just incapable. Tyron Woodley's not exactly a, a huge tall guy right, either. Right, right. And he, I don't. There's no way I think anybody would ever think that he could make below. Well, they'd have to change their body composition. Right. Like they would have to be less thick guys. Like Johnny Hendricks, Tyron Woodley worked for those muscles. You know they worked real hard. They lifted real heavy for those Listen, muscles. If I had those muscles. I would be showing them off. <laughs> I'm not hating on them at all. And Woodley, it's it's it is amazing. He's undersized for welterweight, but you know, he, no one's saying that uh, that he's weak for it. You know, like that he's that he's right. that he feels uh, small to it. So for the weight class, so he's made it work. But yeah, I'm not saying Johnny. See, I think Johnny Hendricks can't. Clearly, he can't cut water weight anymore. We saw this with Ian McCall, who was friend of the show, who was on days before what was supposed to be his first fight in a couple of years, and ultimately had a gallbladder issue and was not able to to fight even though he made weight again i mean th- he's talked about his body failing him to, to joe rogan in his podcast johnny hendrix has said similar things clearly they can't cut water weight and ian was saying he was about eight pounds away 
when he got there that week. So he's not even cutting much water weight. But these guys as wrestlers have cut so much weight over the years. But I just don't understand why Johnny can't decide to walk around at 175 pounds. Would that make him too small for Walter Wade? Yeah, I guess so. But he can just – why can't he be lighter I mean, walking around? I'm not telling him to cut more. He works right. his butt off to cut that weight. I'm just saying walk around smaller. But, but like, do you just think it's hard for him to – like maybe it's just not possible? Well, it's possible. It's a matter of do you want to give up any anyone who's five nine can can walk be 100, 170 pounds. That's just it's possible. This is my opinion. It's possible, but is it possible and for him to be as strong as feel as strong and powerful as he does? No, probably not. Is it possible and to do while also eating lean year round? Yeah, probably not. So, do you think his future is at middleweight? I mean, I I'm assuming so. I'm just worried for for him against those giants but do you think he so do you think he well a lot of people felt like anderson silva was undersized the middleweight i mean he was tall but not as big yeah he's he wasn't Uh, i don't think he was undersized for it he was he's a tall dude and he's thicker in person than 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 he looks on tv he looks super super lanky Um, like a michael page right yeah exactly yeah you know so i think you know it's all individuals and we'll see i mean johnny hendrix with a really great game plan you know, maybe he can out-rustle a bunch of taller guys, but he's going to face, face some really good wrestlers there as well. So I think his future's there, such as it is, and we'll see what he does. He's had a great career already, but I just worry about him because he's going to be fighting some really, really big people there. So that's kind of my next question. You're not optimistic about his future then? Well, I think he could win. I'm, I'm torn. I mean, can he win fights? Yeah, he can win fights. I'm, I'm a little worried that winning or not winning fights, he's going to take some beatings from, you know, he's going to take blows from bigger people than him, from people that are like, should be like two or three weight classes, you know, away from him. So I think winning, yeah, he could win. He could win. I don't think, I think he could beat Michael Bisping. So it's interesting, right? Uh, I think he could beat Michael Bisping. I think he, it would be a really tough thing for him to like beat Chris Weidman or Luke Rockhold or someone like that. So heck, maybe he gets a winning streak. Michael Bisping's still a champion. He gets a good matchup there, you know? So I'm not saying he can't be successful. I'm just worried about a 5'9 guy in a middleweight division. That's all. <laughs> right. So um, I threw it out to the people watching on the Facebook live stream to ask us some questions. And Marcus chimed in with the question that we seem to get asked every time we invite questions. But mm-hmm. things change. Um, he oh. wants to know if we have an idea on McGregor Mayweather. So I think we both stated, correct me if I'm wrong, that we don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, has anything changed in your mind since then? I don't think it's likely. I think McGregor would have probably. I'm just a layperson. I'm not a, a labor attorney. I don't. I think McGregor, from from just a perspective as a journalist and covering legal issues in the sport for twelve years, I think he has a good case. I uh, if he wants to fight the UFC, if he signs to fight McGregor without you know as separate from the UFC having a piece of that promotion. They will sue him. They will. They will. They will seek an injunction against it, and then it could result in an actual lawsuit. And um, and he'll have to fight that battle. Um, if I don't think Conor, McG- I think he could win it eventually. Like <laughs> based on all sorts of statutes, and if he needed to, you know, on constitutional grounds, if you take it to higher courts, I think he can win that. But he would have to wait years, and he would have to spend millions. And I don't think he's going to do that. Floyd would have to wait years. Right. And that means more retirement and less inclined to do it. I think yeah. the, for me, it's always about the hurdles. Mm. This is the, being under contract with the UFC, there's Mayweather's deal with Showtime. The UFC yeah. doesn't go through Showtime or HBO or anything for their pay-per-view. So that's like 
you know, a hurdle. There's just so many hurdles that to overcome them all, it's just more time from the yeah. last time Mayweather fought and it's less likely to happen just mm-hmm. because of those obstacles in place. Not that either one necessarily is opposed to it. I think they'd both be open to it. There's just logistically, yeah, you know, who exactly. is the broadcast. And here's the other thing that I was talking to somebody else about too. Dana White, when he went on uh, Cowherd and made his real offer to mm-hmm. Floyd Mayweather of $25 million, uh, said that he would do it. Maybe I'm thinking it was that interview. Said mm-hmm. that he would stack a UFC card uh, like they did for 205. Lots of title fights, lots yeah. of big name contenders, and they would do that to make sure that the pay per view wasn't boring, like mm-hmm. people thought that the Mayweather Pacquiao one was. Yeah. So at least if that main event is boring, you had a stellar show, so sure. you felt comfortable spending the money. So this presents a question: Well, if that's going to be the case, and then the Conor and Floyd are going to box. So you have a, a you're going to do the Bellator Dynamite thing where you have a cage and a boxing ring right. side by side, which right. presents another whole set of logistical issues. Like you have this boxing ring that's only going to be used for one fight. At least Bellator had, you know, during the prelims, one going on and both at the same time. And sure. then they kind of alternated on the main event. But then you're displacing fans. Like if you're at the end of the arena by the cage, yeah. like that boxing ring is in the center of the arena. It's even yeah. further away. You know, there those are all hurdles and things to consider because – Unless, what are you going to do? Have them box in the UFC cage? Right. It would never happen. Boxing rings are like, what, 18, 20 feet on yeah, each direction? Yeah, and the give is once different. And Floyd relies, and when he backs himself up, he relies on the ability to lean back a lot again. So right. it's a different fight, yeah. I, 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 I would love if we got to the point where those were the obstacles. But Dana White is talking absurdities at that point, <laughs> as, if Showtime, as if anyone's going to give him. Like, once Showtime has a piece of it and the UFC has a piece of it, Floyd doesn't make the money he, you know, ordinarily makes. Connor wouldn't make a big chunk. Like, and and also, uh, I don't think the UFC. There's no reason to stack a card underneath that business wise. The UFC is going to spend a lot right. millions more when, when those two guys and like uh, a turtle a turtle race would 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 sell two million. Like that doesn't sound likely. I think he's trying to make himself look good, and he's talking down. It, it, what that was really is, I thought, was a backhanded thing. Like. We don't want. We want to make sure it's not boring like big boxing cards. So we'll, we'll be the UFC. I think it was it was PR. It was smart PR. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much. I don't know how much money. If if it's Floyd co-promoting himself, and then Connor goes in there, I think they could split a lot of money. If Connor does what he says he's going to do, which is say screw the UFC, I'm doing this on my own. I have an MMA contract with the UFC. This is a separate thing. I'm going to explore my my options. Um, as a now a new pro boxer under the Ali Act to not be held to this other contract. If he does that, then the UFC would have nothing to do with it. You might know more about this than I do, um, but this was a, something I was debating someone else. And mm-hmm. before we move on to the next topic, so um, I don't want to spend too much time talking about this and make every episode about this, but uh, I was asking someone, or I was talking to someone about it, and it made me think about, uh, you know, commissions don't like fighters with various discrepancies in their records fighting mm-hmm. you know that's part of a big why mike jackson and C, uh, mickey gall fought for the chance to fight mm-hmm. cm punk because cm punk had an o and o record and mm-hmm. um, at the time i think mike jackson was also o and o and mickey gall was just one and o so they had comparable records and they could fight that's also why mickey gall said he caught out called out sage northcutt because he had a, a smaller sure. record um so would that translate would his mma record translate into boxing in the commission's eyes Great what question. It would. It, what, 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 what's ostensibly, what would transition uh, for the commission would be the money that there would be to make because they care about discrepancies. Let's say Nevada. Nevada cares about discrepancies in record and experience levels. 
at the high levels to the ex- you know to the extent that it won't interfere with making money. I won't go into I won't rehash you know years of different reporting and stuff on and now in full, but there there is a really unhealthy um, codependence between promoters and athletic commissions. And it's not even like some conspiracy is some secret. On the record, stuff I've written about, stuff I've quoted, commissioners, executive directors of some of the biggest athletic commissions in the world, most influential ones, the most important ones, and the best ones, have said really disturbing things. And they've made very disturbing decisions in allowing the UFC and other promoters, boxing promoters as well, and other MMA promoters to effectively regulate themselves. There's all sorts of laws not being followed right now, whether it's promoters also being effectively managers, which is what the UFC does now um, in the case of someone like Ronda Rousey. Um, my point is this. They allow, they allowed, uh, there's precedent for them not caring about this when there's money to be made. And they've, they've pretty much said as much as well. They allowed James Tony to fight Randy Couture. Um, they allowed CM Punk to fight in the UFC with no athletic competitive experience in anything. He wasn't even a baseball player, no, nothing at all. Now, before this, when, when they first signed him, I thought of this as an issue, for example, in Illinois, where we're based out of, you have to have, now, you have to have five amateur fights, sanctioned amateur fights on record uh, to, to get a pro license. They might make an exception. You have to go and work out. They have to see you, and they might make it an exception for you. I remember the, the executive director of New Jersey's um, Athletic Commission um, talked to him before this fight, and he was saying he would have issues sanctioning CM Punk to fight as a pro. Of course he would in the UFC because you're going to have a lot of trouble finding anyone, uh, even at the amateur level, uh, that is a fair matchup for, for someone with no athletic experience, no martial arts competitive experience at all. So they'd make the fight happen, Mike, because there's money to be made. They, they, the, the commission has been very clear. Like States like Nevada are very clear that they rely on the UFC's judgment in a lot of parts for matchmaking, for things like medical decisions when they when they let the UFC decide whether or not they would tell John Jones that John Jones had tested positive for cocaine, they said, well, we, we trust the UFC to make that decision. They effectively allow them to self-regulate in many, in many of the most important areas that the state is supposed to be there for with matchmaking and, and drug testing. So that's a great question. It should be a roadblock. I don't think it would be. There you go. That's about <laughs> as comprehensive an answer as you could hope for. Um, I believe Dustin Poirier is supposed to be joining oh. us right now. Uh, Give him a ring here. Yeah. The other big news this week, for those of you who are watching, George St. Pierre has returned to the UFC officially. Dana White made it official. This has been an ongoing thing since basically last summer. Oh. Um, you know, Back and forth, there was hope that he would get on UFC 206. Um, that didn't come to fruition. So... Um, you know, it's nice to see him back, but, you know, in the interview that we're going to play after we talk to Dustin Poirier, uh, we, we ask him about GSP. And uh, so stay tuned to check, get his thoughts. Him and uh, Georgia St. Pierre, obviously, both are welterweights, and he's fighting for the welterweight title. But they're also friends. So, yeah, interesting perspective there. Uh, let's see if Dustin's around. Give him a ring here. Uh, We'll try him again in a moment. Um, But while we wait for Mr. Poirier, uh, let's let's talk a little just uh, Georgia St. Pierre. Um, There's rumors that he's coming back fighting at potentially lightweight or middleweight. Are you surprised to see that his returns 
not being focused on the welterweight division? Yeah, we'll see. Like, uh, it's interesting. I, I'm tempted to say that's just Dana White saying it, but but uh, for us, Sahabi is also taught. He's George's uh, friend and and longtime coach at TriStar um, has said that hey, you know, George is capable of getting down to lightweight. So. I'm kind of not surprised if for no other reason, for us, the hobby gave a good indicator of one of the reasons they're probably looking elsewhere. One of the reasons is, hey, they're probably hoping Stephen Thompson becomes the welterweight champion of the world. And they'd rather not fight Stephen Thompson for personal reasons. Like, they are actually friends. Stephen Thompson, in large part, got into MMA because of the experience he had working with George St. Pierre after he beat, as he told us the story before, he beat one of George's TriStar teammates in a kickboxing fight. They invited him to, to work with George. So they'd rather not fight Steven Thompson for that reason. Also, the biggest money fights and the biggest history-making fights are at other weight divisions. So if George wants to make new history, it has to happen outside of welterweight, unless what? Unless he's going to stick around for another 11 years and beat his title defense records or, you know, at welterweight. So the idea about going up to middleweight, I think that seems really feasible to them against someone like Michael Bisming, who is smaller than a lot of... Uh, it's closer to the size of George than some of the other uh, top middleweights. And heck, I guess if he's that light, Mike, then, yeah, let's go, let's go wrestle the shit out of Conor McGregor. Like, as scary as Conor is with his speed and his youth, like, if I get... I'm sure they're thinking, yeah, if we get a hold of him, we're putting him on his back, and he's not getting up. Could so that seems appealing, a second division, you know? Like, that's appealing. You know, I've never heard Conor express feelings towards Georgia St. Pierre one way or the other, but I'd imagine there's got to be some, like admiration i would imagine so yeah yeah he said something that i didn't quite under, it kind of didn't translate well to me from connor's english to to my english he <laughs> talked when he was he was talking about george's uh position because george kind of mentioned him by name in that conference call with that uh the mma union and all that and connor was kind of dismissive of him but i think that's like a more business thing as an athlete i'm sure he respects the heck out of him and as an athlete i bet he never thought he'd fight george st pierre because he's a featherweight and george is a welterweight, so it's it's crazy, but it isn't. Like if George can get lower, and he's not that tall either, he's just stacked. <laughs> like dude is yoked, right? And he has legs like tree trunks. But if if they're thinking he can get lower, that's very winnable. Like I'm not a fan of George coming back at all. I think he's taken enough damage in his career. But if he can come back and and fight people that he can really out Russell that are smaller than him and still make history. Or go against someone like Bisping, who's at least around this size, and make history. That's, that's kind of cool. It well, caught me by surprise, for sure. <laughs> but it's not, when I think about it, it's kind of cool. For me, if you're going to come back, Georgia St. Pierre, I mean, you're coming back, I think, what else is there to accomplish at Welter? Right, right. Um, so the idea that you're coming back and you're not doing it just to keep fighting, that you're doing it in some pursuit of mm-hmm. history, is definitely a, a compelling thing. Um, him fighting at middleweight and pursuing that title is notable because if he beats Bisping and wins that title, he's the second or the fourth fighter, I'm sorry, uh, in UFC history to win titles in two different weight classes. So that's, that's monumental. Yeah. That's a yeah. bookmark thing. And if he can make lightweight mm-hmm. and he were to fight whoever the champion is there, whether right. it's Conor McGregor or whether it's, um, Habib or Tony Ferguson after yeah. they fight at 209 and then they fight Connor for the title, whoever is the champion, you could become the first to win a title in three weight right, classes, right. which is just insane. And yeah. I don't think that would ever have been something I would have thought of until <laughs> everybody started talking about him at lightweight. I never, I just assumed that there was no way he could make lightweight. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, uh, 
I never, they keep so much close to the chest that I never knew. I feel like there's a lot of misinformation. So I never knew how heavy he was. He never heard anything about if George's weight cuts were easy, hard, or anything. He just made weight, right? And then he dominated. So, yeah, kind of caught me by surprise. I never thought about it either, Mike. But uh, they would say it every once in a while. Like when they would bring up Anderson Silva years ago, they'd be like, hey, I don't know about that. Um, he can make lightweight. So they talked about it in the years past, but I didn't know if I believed it. You know, it's. It's kind of it kind of caught me surprised. I could try. I got a te- I just got a text from Dustin Poirier. Let's Should we try him it. again? Let's see. The people are eager. I know that. <laughs> Been trying for a bit. Hello, Dustin. This is Elias, and uh, here with my co-host Mike Dice. How you doing, sir? What's happening, guys? Not too much, man. Excited to have you on. And thanks so much for taking time after uh, after your fight. I'm sure you're still trying to get in some rest, man. <laughs> I'm limping around a little bit, but I'm all right, man. <laughs> Sorry about last week, bro. Sorry about last week. I was uh, I was it got away from me time. Hey, that it happens, man. It was it was nice of you to to agree to come on so soon. No, no worries. We we've got. We've got some important questions to ask you, but none more important in my mind than to ask you this. Where the hell have you been hiding that hair all these years? And why why'd you wait so long to, to come out with that do, man? You're looking good, bro. You're looking I don't know, slick. Man, I've been, I thought five or six years without it in the UFC would keep people on edge, and then I bust it out when I'm ready to make a, <laughs> make a run for the pump. <laughs> I love it. I love it. How's, uh, how's fatherhood going, man? I actually I got to spend some time with you the eve before uh, UFC 199 in, in L.A. with you know, your coaches and, uh, and, and your wife, right. and at the time you guys were – uh, expecting a, uh, a baby coming soon. How, how's everything going, man? You, you've been very busy throughout this time. Yeah, it's good, man. I like to stay busy, but thanks for asking. She's incredible, man. She's uh, a couple of days ago. She turned uh, on the twentieth. She turned six months, man. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. You know, it, it, it's incredible. Everybody always talks about how fatherhood changes. Uh, you know, changes you as a person. What was kind of been some of the things that have changed in you since uh, having a child? Uh I'm sure a lot of things have changed, but for for things that I've noticed is definitely patience, man. I, I got a lot more patience now, and and uh, different things are are important to me. You know, I used to uh, when it comes to fighting, I used to not so much think about like getting in there and getting in brawls and taking damage. I didn't really care. That was part of fighting, and now I'm kind of not that I wanted that, but I just didn't think about it as much as I do now. You know, I want to remember every day with my daughter. I want to always be there for her, and and. And, and be sharp, you know what I mean? So uh, I'm not saying trying to go out there and, and take damage anymore at all. You know, I, I, this question was going to be for later, but it kind of reminds me of what you're saying now, Dustin. It kind of reminds me of it. Uh, I was going to ask you, what are some of the most important pieces in your development as a fighter over the years? I mean, a lot, a lot of um, fight fans – you know, even if they didn't watch you locally coming up in the regional scene, they may have seen you in, in that, uh, now I'm forgetting the name of that great documentary when you were trading in, in Louisiana with uh, Tim Creter and all those guys. Um, you know, thank you, Fightville. You know, I, you know, now obviously for years been training at ATT. And I mean, how, how have you changed as a, as a fighter? What, what, is, what has surprised you, if anything, about the, your, your changes in your approach or your attitude towards, towards this sport that you love? Uh, you know, I, when I'm not in camp, I'm preserving my body. I'm not out here sparring every day. I'm, uh, you know, I've got to spend a lot of time with Robbie Lawler these last few years. And, uh, you know, he's had a long career and and he he got to the mountaintop 
and won the belt and, and just talking to him and picking his brain and learning things from him and guys like Tiago Alves and, you know, just being around guys like Mike Brown and the best guys in the world who've been doing this for their whole lives, uh, just learning bits and pieces from them. You know, I'm a listener and, and just being around these guys, I learn a lot. You mentioned Robbie. Was it, was it tough or was it a surprise when, when he announced he was, he was moving on from, from ATT? Like there's no one really knows anything outside of that, you know, what, what that was all about. And I wouldn't expect you to, to spill any private stuff, but I mean, was that, was, was that, has that been a tough thing? Yeah. You know, he's my, he's a good buddy of mine and, uh, but he's still a good buddy of mine. I just don't see him every day as much. I had dinner with him last night, and uh, I'm still going to be training with him in the future whenever that that opportunity comes up. Nice. I was saying psychologically, Dustin. Like you, you have a you have a great string of wins now. I think you've won like five out of six. But your fight previous to this one was a rough one. I mean, psychologically, if you can help fans understand how important is it for a fighter to win a big fight. Um, after losing their their previous one, I mean, for for people that may not think about it much, I mean, this isn't baseball or basketball. Like when you lose a fight, it it's 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 a little I, bit more wait, heightened. Look, man, I, I I have nobody to point the finger at, uh, nobody to blame anything on. I don't have a team to 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 say you you lacked here or there mm. uh, during the game. All I have is is a mirror to go back to and look at myself and, and face reality honestly. And, and I've always been a been good at, at adapting and getting better when I meet adversity and and uh you know I've been through a lot of adversity in my life and, and I've got really far and I have a long way to go but uh I always get better and come back stronger more dedicated more disciplined and right now I'm just part of the growing process man I have a lot of fights left in me and, and uh you haven't seen the best Dustin Poirier at all that's interesting that you say that I feel like a lot of people uh really admired your fight against Jim Miller and how you dug deep. And it's kind of almost a metaphor for the adversity that you were just talking about. You know, it was a fight where you um, were injured, but you overcame, um, you know, how much do you feel like that, that performance kind of like helped put you on the map? Uh, I mean, I hope people recognize it and saw a good fighter and, and enjoyed the fight, but uh, that's just a small part of who I am. You know, I, I hopefully in the future uh, I'll be able to show, who I am for, for everybody who hasn't seen or has no clue of who I am, you know, uh, never say die, bust my ass every day and, and focus a hundred percent is what I am. And, you know, I, I don't talk about it that much. Some people recognize it. Some people don't, but hopefully it shows when I fight. What do you, what, Oh, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to follow up on that fight. You know, at, at what point did you maybe realize that you were really injured and you know, how much, in fight adjustments did you have to do to kind of compensate for that to you know hold on to a gritty gritty win you know jim's a tough guy man and 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 a crafty vet and the guy knows how to win in the ufc he has the most wins in the lightweight division history uh the guy's been around a long time fought 20 something 27 fights in in ufc just to just to stay around for 27 fights in in the ufc is a is a, is a feat in itself you know making it to the ufc is one thing staying around that long is a totally different thing. And I feel like that's what I have. I have staying power. I'm always going to be relevant and always going to be around. And uh, But to get back to your question, uh, into the second round, he landed a couple, you know, a few kicks that I, I felt during during the exchanges, but I didn't really feel them until I got off the stool for the third round, standing up off the stool and putting all the weight back on it after my leg had rested. I, I really felt it. 
Um, and then obviously it really set in in the third round after he landed a few more leg kicks. The thing is, man, being a southpaw, fighting another southpaw, it doesn't happen that, that often. And calf kicks are a thing that don't happen that, that often. So when you have a southpaw throwing calf kicks, you, you really don't see it that much live. And that was the thing that I planned on doing to him and, and exploiting. And, and I just honestly checking thigh kicks is one thing. I do that all day from either stance, but calf kicks is a whole different timing, a whole different check. And, and I just honestly, I wasn't prepared for it, but I have a new respect for calf kicks and the damage they do and how quickly uh, it takes place. So, you know, that was a learning lesson. There's uh this is random and I don't know that anyone will appreciate this other than me or one of those things you have to be there, but there was uh, Mike and Dustin at uh, my gym. Our, there was this young kid still there, great, great kid, Walker. But he's young. He's in high school. He's maybe like uh, uh, 15 years old now. Uh, he's, he's a good martial artist. He could be great, you know, when he, when he gets older. But we were in Muay Thai class, and, and uh, they were working on roundhouse kicks, like real roundhouse kicks to the legs, just like kicks, you know, to the thigh and stuff. And uh, this kid, he tells the coach, he's like, no, nah, he's like, um, I don't really want to work on this. Like, what are you talking about? And he goes, I, I, I'm really trying to focus on calf kicks right now. And we just, we thought it was the, the most hilarious thing in the world. But even, you know, it was a little bit out of line. But even then, you know, it was hilarious that like a kid would be focusing on something like that. But now he's probably watching this fight vindicated. Like, all right, see, even if Dustin Poirier had to, to struggle through it, <laughs> they're definitely a good weapon, you know. And how, how much can you, how much do you guys train things like, calf kicks or like oblique kicks and stuff like that because i mean some things are hard to to do with your with your sparring partners because you might you know bust each other up too bad like do you guys even train you know, calf, those calf, calf kicks we definitely train a mm, lot mm. Uh, leading up to this fight with jim miller i did a lot of work with gleason tebow who's another southpaw gritty wrestler uh he was actually my main sparring partner uh throughout this last camp and you know i tore his leg up with calf kicks mm. and uh, i was really confident on on landing a lot on Miller, uh, leading up to the fight, I didn't see Miller as a big threat kickboxing. You know, I knew he threw heavy punches and, and liked to get gritty with the wrestling and, and maybe dirty boxing, but I just didn't think of him as a finesse kickboxer. When, when calf kicks come to mind, I think you have to set him up and timing is, has to be good. And, it, you know, but, but he, man, he, he really surprised me. But in the gym, I was definitely prepared to throw calf kicks. I just wasn't prepared to take them. <laughs> you know, earlier. I worked on him. I worked on him offensively. That's interesting. Earlier, uh, you uh, mentioned unveiling the hair for the title run. Uh, so, you know, assuming that this is the launching point, what's the next rung on the ladder to get to that title shot for you? Is there a specific fighter, or is it just whoever the UFC puts in You know, I, I, I uh, wanted to fight Michael Chiesa. I feel like that would be a fun fight for the fans. And he's ranked a couple steps ahead of me. So it just makes sense. But him and his management are dodging the fight and making excuses. So uh, on to the next man. You know, I'd like to fight Nate Diaz or anybody, anybody in the top ten. Uh, you know, I'm ready to show who I am in this division and in the sport. When when you're negotiating a fight and you know the, the other fighters seemingly not interested, like how, does that information get relayed to you, or is it just kind of inference based on the fact that they won't accept it and the UFC saying they're trying to make it happen? Man, I, I, you know, I'm not a, a guy to talk a whole lot of shit on 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 people and their teams and whatnot, but but a couple of things have been relayed to me in these last few days. So it's fresh in my mind. And, uh, yeah, the guy's avoiding the fight. Man, it's, well, it's amazing. You're, you're already looking for a fight too. Like, you know, do you, is that common for you, Dustin? Like, even if you've got a 
take a little uh, take it easy for a couple of weeks, you'll still like look I, to I sign mean, I one. A, I have a lot of stuff going on in my personal life mm. right now too with the baby and. Uh, I just recently purchased another home in Louisiana, nice. and I'm moving my wife back, and I'll be doing training camps in Florida. So I have a lot of stuff going on. So realistically, June, late June, July is is what I'm shooting for. But uh, I haven't sold my house yet in Florida, mm. and uh, all my stuff's still there. So if something worth taking pops up, I I'll do it. Wow, wow. My leg's fine. I'm good to go. That's awesome. Well, I hear the UFC uh, puts on some big big shows in early July. That might work yeah, out man, well for you. That'd be perfect. That'd be that'd be the perfect timing. So then you mentioned Nate Diaz. Is you know he's such an enigma. It seems like he's only set to wait for one particular fighter. You know, have you thrown that out there to the brass? Have they kind of given you any information about where he's at? Um, you know, he's a different case. You know, I think. Uh, He's been in the game a long time, and he's made a bunch of money, and he's just waiting on fights that make sense to him. And, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not even sure if the UFC – I was trying to get the fight. I don't, I'm not even sure. I haven't heard back if they even offered it to him or whatnot. He might not be fighting until he gets some title shot. I don't know what the hell's going on or until Connor's ready to fight. But, he, you know, obviously he's after money fights. So we'll see what happens. But I think the fans would enjoy it. Yeah, no, we everyone would enjoy that fight. It would be an amazing one. Uh well, man, Dustin, we it's it's amazing to hear from you so close to that last fight. Congrats on the win. Congrats on everything. I know it's a busy time in life. Congrats on all the awesome stuff you guys are making happen in, in your life. We're happy for you, and uh, we hope you get uh, get a fight that you want next, and we'll definitely want to chat with you about it when it happens, brother. I appreciate it, man. And if I don't get the fight I want next, I'll beat up whoever i got to beat to get it. And we'll talk <laughs> to you about that. We're looking forward to it. Thanks, Dustin. Have a great day, brother. Hey, thank you, man. Well, that's cool. It was nice to nice to get to to talk to him. He was uh, it was funny because we were saying like, yeah, we had technical difficulties, and and Dustin was like, oh yeah, it slipped past me. He's a, you know he's a cool guy, he's an honest guy, and I he, uh, we he was nice enough to say yes to an interview like a day after he had that hellacious war and, and victory. Um, but uh, you know, <laughs> it's easy to it's easy like again, it's easy to have the time slip past you. When you're that tired, you got a baby at home and stuff like that. So it was, we really appreciate it. I won't, he sent us a, a really nice text right after the show last week uh, explaining what happened. And it's totally a uh, you know, family man reason, which we really respect. <laughs> you know? So it was cool of him to jump back on this week. Happy, uh, happy to have him on. We're flexible. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting to hear him talk about his own growth, you know, not only in the things that are happening, of course, in his personal life, but the... Uh, the other areas, you know, the fight game and um, everything. He's he seems really poised. I mean, he the, the, yeah. That one loss to uh, Michael Johnson was right. Yeah, yeah. Is the only loss he's had since moving up to welterweight. Right. He's you know he beat the lightweight. Uh, yeah, Joseph. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, Joseph Duffy, who was you know a big hot thing uh, going yeah, when great fighter. You know they brought him in. Those you know billed as the last man to beat Conor McGregor before Nate Diaz and all that. Um, you know, and he's got notable wins. This is a guy who beat Max Holloway. Right, right. Oh. Beat uh, Green, uh, Bobby Green. Like, I mean, he's fought Jim Miller contenders. now. Uh, he's, I mean, it, are you surprised that he's only ranked 10th? Yeah, these rank. Well, yeah, I mean, yes I and mean, no. We've gone on on the rankings. The, the UFC rankings are garbage. They're filled by garbage journalists, and, and they're controlled by the UFC. So I'm not surprised in that regard. Uh, all sorts of – every time, like how many times is it now? At least two or three times we have someone on here, a fighter, and they're like mystified where they are in these rankings. It's because they're they're bad rankings. Where would you put Poirier right now? Uh, I, I think he's, and, and, and he's lightweight's well a 
And lightweight's a really, really deep, deep division. Yeah, really deep. I mean, I, I think he's he's deep into the top ten. I, I mean, I feel like I, I feel like he's he's knocking on the top the top five. I think the guys he's beaten, he should be getting people. Um, he should be getting people within within the top seven or eight. I, I put him. I've definitely put him in the top ten. And so I feel like with another couple wins, um, he'll have an amazing streak, and he would have beaten a ton of really top guys. And he should be. He should be thinking about a title shot. So I have him. I have him already in the top ten. But the guys he's beaten. The uh, other um, Kevin here is a friend of the show. Angelo Reyes yeah. sent me a message and said, "You know, Paul Felder versus Dustin Poirier would be a fun fight, and that would be a fun <laughs> fight. A great but, fight. Sure. I mean, if you're thinking for Poirier, this is a guy who's not ranked right. Felder, right. who's gone through, who was really hot and then went through a rough patch of his own. Yeah. yeah. Um, but is it, yeah, is it worth it? That right? would definitely yeah. be an entertaining fight. Oh, it'd be but an amazing. You fight. can't fault someone from like Poye, and you meant he mentioned specifically thinking about his family, and it's changing. Yeah. You know, I used to just go in there and scrap and not worry about it because it was just fighting and part, mm-hmm. you know, a brawl. Mm-hmm. But he's like, now that I have this daughter, I have to think about my health and trying to be safe and protective and smart in there. You know, and from that kind of side, like that would be a fun fight. But based on these rankings that are inherently flawed, aren't isn't necessarily the yeah. smartest uh, decision for him. I think that'd be a really great competitive fight, and I think. Paul, I, I mean, who knows? Maybe Poirier. I'm sure Poirier will fight anyone at any at any time. But uh, but uh, oh, yeah, I think that's a tough would, fight to yeah. take. Yeah, it's a t- yeah, exactly. It's a tough fight for his managers to let him take at this point, at this point. If you're gonna fight someone as good as Paul Felder, you try to have them be ranked above you. Well, everybody, we appreciate you watching the show. That was Dustin Poirier. As we promised at the beginning of the show, we have Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Uh, he couldn't do the show live. He could actually do the show like an hour before it started. So we wanted to accommodate him because, you know, when you're fighting for the welterweight title of the world, uh, the, the rules change for you. And so. 10 days out. He's 10 days away from and his fight. Out, yeah. Like, that's cool of him to talk to us 10 days before his fight. So right. Yeah, I love it. Which I'm sure was the last thing he wanted to do. So <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't talk uh, to him. In an effort to accommodate him, we talked to him earlier. Uh, we recorded the interview, and we're going to play it now for its entirety. Um, so here it is for you. Let me... Get the audio queued up. So listen to the whole thing. It's about 15 minutes long. All right. Joining us by phone is Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who fights Tyron Woodley at UFC 209 in Las Vegas. Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us. Hey, no worries, my friend. No worries. Anytime. Well, Stephen, we, we had you on before. Um, what ended up being, you know, the, your last fight. You were campaigning for that fight at that point still, not too long after you got it. And goodness, what, what an amazing fight it was. Of course, I know, you know, you probably have uh, a different opinion because, you know, although it was a great fight, you didn't get the, the result you wanted. You guys had a, a, a five-round draw, but you're getting a, a rematch again. And I'm kind of, I'm curious, as a competitor, as an elite competitor, I'm curious as how you approach mentally a rematch um, of such a close fight. Like, are you, have you guys been analyzing every moment in that first fight and, and every turning point uh, because there was so much back and forth action to, to figure out like little things to adjust? Or are you thinking, hey, I, ultimately I can't overthink it. I get one or two takeaways from watching it, rest, and you go back to doing the type of stuff you always do? Exactly. That's exactly what, how we've been, uh, you know, approaching this next fight is, you know, not, not trying to overanalyze it, you know, just going in there, think, uh, picking a few things that I could have done differently and going back and working on that. 
So, I mean, weight was a big issue. I was walking around very, very light, about 182. So I actually weighed myself before I stepped out in the octagon. I was 178, so I was very small. I know Tyron's a big 170. He cuts from like 205 or something. Like I think even heavier than that. But And I could feel that in the clinch positions. Uh, if you if you watched it, I was very hesitant out there in that, that last fight. I didn't throw the um, – you know, the techniques that I normally do, I didn't switch sides, didn't throw the different kicks. You know, I was very hesitant and uh, just didn't go out there and let it let it fly. And uh, that's one of the things that we went back and looked at. And um, we're definitely going to going to see a difference. Stephen Winterboy Thompson going to step out there March 4th. You know, I feel like people expected you to, to dominate and win easily. Did you kind of expect that of yourself? And can you see where, you know, you mentioned the hesitance, but can you see where you kind of let that slip away during that fight? Yeah, man. I mean, um, everybody expected me to go out there and dominate him, but I, I didn't figure I was going to go out there and just like school the guy. I mean, you know, he's a champion for a reason. Very big, very strong opponent, and um, you know, going. I'm not really sure why I didn't let everything go. I don't know if it was uh, just just my first title uh, fight. I don't know what the the whole deal was, but um, you got good days and you got bad days, and that definitely wasn't a good day for me. I. I uh, um, you know, if you're going back and watch some of my fights from the past, I do a lot more out there than I normally did. I just was too hesitant and, I guess, too respectful of his power. I know he's a very strong guy, but I just got to go out there and let it all let it all out, you know, and not be gun-shy and just go out there and do it. And uh, that's what we took back from, uh, you know, uh, watching the, the fight over and over again. And, um, uh, you know, he, he's, a, he's a tough guy for a reason, so. With, with, he's a champion for a reason. Yeah, of course. With, with that said, do you feel um, we haven't, talked about this i mean do you feel you actually deserve to have gotten the judges score and win the fight or no well you know i felt that i won uh three of the five rounds two three and five he definitely won the first and the fourth uh i think the fourth they said it was a was a 10-8 but um you know it was like one threat right after the next you know um i know when the announcement was called i was like wait a second i know i did more than that i don't know um what was going on with that, you know, I didn't have time to really think about it because as soon as they announced the fight, Daniel, I was like, hell, let's take it's a draw, it's a draw. But, um, yeah, man, I mean, it, he definitely won that first and fourth round, I believe. I felt that I won the second, third, and fifth round. That's just when I go back and watch, That's that was my opinion. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I had it, I had, I had it the same way. The difficulty is deciding what's a 10-8 and what's a not 10-8, right? And that's why, like, right. from the outside – easy for me to say because it's not my life and my livelihood from the outside I was like geez I can't figure it out kind of then yeah maybe draw and make sure these guys go at it again again that's not fair because each fight takes something from you right so it's tough to say hey run it back and don't worry if the judge got it right or wrong but I was curious what your what your 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 take on that was and it it was interesting what you're saying about weight too because I remember maybe maybe a couple years ago um now um I I, I was speaking with you for uh, like a written story and I, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the things you, you mentioned that you had worked on was actually walking around lighter because you used to cut too much weight to get down. And so it's interesting to hear you talk about now, like, okay, wait a minute. Now I've got to like tweak it again because I was, I was a little bit too light. I mean, that's, I don't think that's something that's appreciated. Mike is actually going to be working on a project where he's going to be uh, trying to cut weight. I've, I've done a, a similar type of concept before. I don't think fans really appreciate this like, balancing act that has nothing to do with skills or you know this this weight management stuff is a really really tough thing it seems like and really an important thing 
It is, you know. I mean, you know, when I fought uh, Jake Ellenberger, Johnny Henderson, even Roy, I was walking around a whole lot lighter. But, um, you know, Tyron's a big guy. He's very, very, very powerful. And I could feel that, you know, right off the bat, right in the first round, him laying on top of it. I normally, you know, am able to get up from those positions. But when he clamped down, man, it was like I couldn't move. And just to be a bigger body out there for him. And it is a play game, you know, kind of how you feel. And, and um, you know, it, it worked for me for the past. But for this fight, it just, you know, I felt too small. So um, I'm not walking around too heavy. I mean, much, you know, I was walking about 190, not like getting over that, you know, um, that way I'm just a little bit bigger body when I'm out there and, and able to fight up those, some of those clinch positions. And, um, yeah, man, it, it, you have to play with it. You gotta, it, it is a difficult thing to get, you know, it, it did work for me in the past, keeping a low weight, making the weight cut easier. But when you're facing off against somebody as big as him and as strong as the uh, tyrant, you have to be a little bit heavier. And that definitely matters when you're out there in, in, in the fight. I, I, do you, this is, I don't mean that this is not like to be uh, glib and I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not saying it for any particular reason, but I, I am curious anytime someone has a long, uh, grueling fight, um, I'm, I'm wonder like how much you remember of points, right? Like, cause I, so in the amateur fights of mine, there's times where I've heard coaches and there's times where I had no idea. Like they talked to me afterwards. Did you hear this, that? No, I didn't hear anything. Right. Um, and, yeah. and I've never even. I've, you know, I've fight at a really, really low level. I've never had to take, you know, the type of damage you guys take. So I'm curious, like, did you, did you remember all of the fight or did you have to watch the tape? I mean, specifically, I'm thinking about moments like when you were in the guillotine, you'd already taken some hellacious blows and then you're locked in a guillotine that, I mean, I'm sure it didn't tickle, right? Like apparently it wasn't on, but <laughs> you know, and yet you, you fight off and I'm thinking when I'm watching, I'm like, all right, that's instinct. That's conditioning. That's you know, that's him doing the right hand fighting, the things like that, posturing up at the right time. That's basically stuff you train yourself to do. It's not thinking it through. Did you, did you, do you remember all these moments or did you have to go back and watch tape to, to, to see exactly what had happened? I actually had to go back and watch, to be honest, especially everything that happened that fourth round. Um, you know, because it was one threat literally right after the next. He ended up hitting me with the right hand, ended up knocking me down, popped right back up hit me again and that one stuck it's like but it was weird because in the fourth round i felt flat like i saw the punches coming but i just didn't react to it i didn't move out of the way i didn't i just took it to the face and something you can't do against somebody who, who swings as hard as tyron and uh you know next thing you know you know uh i went back i had to go back and watch but i do remember being in that guillotine and it being tight right off the bat but i, I was i literally said to myself like i'm talking to you now and i I'm not really sure if Tyron heard me or not, but I said, all these people came to watch me fight. I'm not going to chat. Hmm. And as soon as I said I could feel his arms start to gas out, I was like, ah, now's my chance to get out of this thing. And um, But I remember saying that to myself. You know, it was a choke, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to tap at this. I'm not going to tap. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fight it off as long as I can. If I go out, I go out, but I'm going to fight this. And, um, and yeah, man, cool. there's a lot of things, a lot of, um, you know, I guess moments or emotions that people don't see when you're out there and the training that goes that you have to put yourself through to be able to, to go through things like that. It's where most people would give up. Um, you know, that's just not in me. And, uh, um, I guess the, 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 the training that I put myself through that I see these champions that I've trained with George and, you know, uh, Rashad and, you know, Chris Weidman, just the grueling, there's just the, 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 the grind that they put themselves through. They put themselves in bad positions to be able to get out, you know, 
and uncomfortable positions to be able to um, to go through that. And when you get in those uncomfortable positions in, in the octagon, you have to be able to fight through that. Hmm. And that's grueling, man. But you know what? Uh, those guys are champions for a reason. That's something I take back from them. And I try to imply in, in my training, my mindset, that I'm not giving up. The, the, there's been a lot of like heat or, you know, words back and forth now for months and months between you and, and Tyron. And, and, and in a way, the hostility between two guys like you is a little bit unexpected because I, from my perspective, you guys are both really, you know, respectful guys. Um, you know, you're a guy who always acts a certain way, in, you know, in public and by all accounts in private. And, you know, Tyron does his commentary thing. You know, he's nice to fans, all that stuff. Is this, is this, this heat, this hostility, just the natural outcome of two evenly matched world champion guys that are pitted against each other and there's a whole lot on the line? Is that just, there's not really anything that either one of you is doing bad or wrong or saying, it's just, hey, this is inevitably, we're, we're not on the same page. We're at odds with our interests. You know, uh, I haven't really said a whole lot to desire him, but, I mean, it is. I mean, it, you know, he believes he... Um, you know, he won that last fight, and and I think there was some hostility when he was calling out other people besides me. You know, in in my experience, you know, when there's a tie, you always run it back, and and um, so I wasn't gonna let him do it. I wasn't gonna let him. You know, it was talk about fighting George and uh, Conor McGregor, and even going up weight class fighting Bisping. I'm like, wait a second. You know, we just tied. You know, how can you, how can a champion be okay with that? You know, I know I couldn't. Um, even if I'm not a champion and if I talk with somebody, I would want to run it back and, you know, get, get the, you know, the official win. That's just me as a, as a fighter and as a competitor. And I was like, wait a second, you know, so I kind of poked at him a little bit on social media. I just post, I just posted a picture of me and him up with my signed contract. And I just said pretty much waiting on you and, uh, it, it fired him up a little bit. So I think that's what kind of started it. But, uh, um, yeah, man, I, you know, I'm, the the last fight, I felt what he felt like. He's he's kind of felt what what I felt like, and and um, you know, I think it's just uh, trying to get people hyped up for it, and um, and I think words that Tyron's have been saying about me and what he's going to do to me is just a way to kind of hype himself up and uh, pump himself up for the fight. But uh, I don't need to do all that stuff, you know. Um, I'm just going to go out there and do my thing, you know. I do it for the honor and for the glory. And, and that's why uh, I'm in the sport. Now, I think you just brought up his name, but you know the big news this week is that Georgia St. Pierre's uh, return to the UFC seems official. You know, I was wondering since you have somewhat of a relationship with him, if I'm remembering correctly, what your thoughts on his return are. You know what? I, I'm, I'm not happy for the guy. I'm glad he's back in there. I know it's kind of hard to sit back and watch um, something that you know you're at the top of the game for so long, and and um. um you know, he was one of the reasons why I stepped in. I started mixed martial arts. I went from kickboxing to mixed martial arts, and he was my inspiration to do that. So, man, heads off that guy. You know, it's, that's cool for him to actually take that time off. And but people think, you know, just because you haven't been fighting doesn't mean you, you know he hasn't been training. The guy's a lifelong martial artist; he's always training um, and always getting better. And hopefully, we'll see um, whoever he steps out of there in the octagon with next, and uh, we'll see that improvement. Hopefully, he's he's still got it. There's been some uh, potential names thrown out in regards to him, you know, a lightweight fight or a middleweight fight, some of the same things Tyron Woodley was talking about. Uh, is that kind of what you'd like to see him do? Would you like to see him kind of pursue these super fights, so to speak? You know, I, I, 
I'm not I haven't talked to him, so this that might be why he's getting back into the sport for the for those super fights. Uh, I know there was talk about him fighting Bisbing going up, and, and and he even said he could go down to 155. But wherever he goes, man, I think he'll do well at, and even if it's in the 170 uh, division. Hopefully that doesn't happen. I mean, uh, he's a good buddy of mine, but you know, it you, you never know at this point. You know, we we may have to, and just like me and Rory had to, and but I'm we definitely have a closer relationship than me and Rory did. Um, so we'll just have to see where it goes. But um, I think that's what he's pursuing, those super fights, you know, and, and he definitely deserved it. He's been at the top of the game for a very long time, one of the best welterweights who ever stepped out in, in the octagon. And Elias mentioned Tyron Woodley doing analysis, but you've done analysis before too, actually famously when he won the belt uh, against Robbie Lawler. So if you were to get back into your analyst role and look at the main co-main event of UFC 209, who do you think wins, Khabib or Ferguson? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Well, that's the thing, man. At the top of the game, especially at this level, it's very hard to pick somebody. But uh, Ferguson's definitely got he's, – he's, he's definitely a taller fighter. I think he's taller than I am. In fact, the 155, he's got to keep Khabib at the end of his strikes. You know, he's got to stay on his toes, got to keep moving. But Khabib is very good at what he does. He can close that gap. He's got he's got good hands and good wrestling skills. I think um, um, if he can get uh, Ferguson down and keep that top control, that wrestling uh, control on top, I think he can win, but you got to think again, you know, um, you know, Ferguson is very crafty on his back, off of his back. He's very crafty. And so that's one thing that uh, Khabib has got to watch out for. You know, he's very sneaky from the bottom and from his back. So, man, it's, it's a very difficult fight to pick. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, but Khabib, man, you know, he, he's very strong. Um, and he hasn't, he hasn't lost yet. I mean, the guy's, the guy's a beast. So we'll see, man. We'll just have to go out there and see, man. Of course, I'll be in the back warming up. You know, I won't be able to sit there and watch everything, but uh, I think I know. I know for one thing, it's going to be a good fight. Well, Stephen, man, we know uh, you've you've got uh, the end of this camp to, to finish up, and we really appreciate you taking time so close to the fight. It's always a, a pleasure again to talk to you, man. We can't wait to watch you. We wish you the best of luck the rest of camp and during the fight. Thanks, my friend. I appreciate it, guys. Y'all have a good one. Thanks. You too. There you guys have it. That was Stephen Wonderboy Thompson talking uh, about his fight with Tyrone Woodley, giving us a little bit of uh, his feedback or his opinions on Georgia St. Pierre's return. Uh, and as you mentioned, um, nice of him to take time to talk to us you know, during fight week or 10 days out from, fight, oh. from the fight itself, about to be fight week next week, um, You know, in the process of weight cutting and training and diverting so much focus and energy towards that fight to take time out to talk to um, us was you know a big honor means a lot that people are responding the way they are to to the show i know to me and mike both i mean to have someone like steven um 10 days away from his fight to have ian mccall do his interview with us while at grand's ground zero a couple days before his fight um to have people message us and say hey can we be on your show um yeah, I mean it's uh, it's 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 really cool. Um, I, I I'm, we love these conversations and and guys like Steven, guys like Dustin, really all of our guests have have really been not only giving us their time, they're really earnest. And like ninety percent of these interviews have been the type of stuff that as fans I want to hear. It's not like a, a PR person here with them and with us. It's we're talking. You know, learn that this is it's not a conference call, it's not and those have their place. It's not a PR interview and those have their place and we've utilized some really great 
uh, PR people helping us get some interviews, but it's it's people talking to us on their cell phones or in their house phone with their family behind them, right on the way to training, on the way before training, before you know weighing in, all that stuff. And we get some good earnest stuff from them. It's pretty cool, man. They really, you know, they lay it out on the line for the fans, and I feel like they're really earnestly laying it out for for the listeners as well. And during some of these conversations. And I don't know that I could have said it any better than that. So <laughs> that might be the perfect point to end on. Um, and, and of course, as Leah said, thank you to everyone who watches the show every week on the Facebook page. We're always working to improve. And uh, thank you for those of you who listen to the uh, podcast, whether it be on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn app, or all over, whether you even watch the video on YouTube after it gets uploaded there. Um, thank you all for being fans. Please subscribe. Uh, we're going to have more great content and more great interviews coming for you. We're already thinking about uh, who we're going to have on next week leading into UFC 209. So thank you all. Uh, and until then, we will see you next week.